You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vincent Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 171 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast, coming to you on June 3rd. And when I was putting together the show notes for this episode, I realized 171 is a lot of episodes. Well, like I said, we're closing in on our anniversary on uh, the beginning of August. So, yeah, it's it's been a while. How many episodes did we do of our gaming podcast? That one ended, I th- believe, at 164, actually. We, we already surpassed that one, yeah. Wow. How did you put up with me for so long? I was going to ask you the same. <laughs> and if we and ask our fans. <laughs> that is the secret to a successful podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, that's a secret. Hatred and, <laughs> and, and respect and sarcasm, yes. Works for marriages as well. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not, I've told you a hundred times, Roger. I'm not going to marry you. <laughs> I can still dream. Anyway, today we are talking about an image series from 2012 called Revival. Uh, We're taking a look at the first five issues, and this is something I've been hearing a lot about over time and just never quite had a chance to check it out, so here we are. Written by Tim Seeley, art by Mike Norton and Mark Englert, and I really want to like this more than I do. I don't know about you, but... It, especially on a second reading when I was preparing for the show, I realized half the sentences in my show notes have question marks at the end because <laughs> I had a hard time figuring out exactly what's going on in this story. I can see what's going on, but it doesn't – without sounding mean or anything, it doesn't make it better. Yeah. And it's it's not that this is bad per se – but that it borrows heavily from other stories that use similar tropes, but it doesn't do it better or put anything in that's that original. So if you, I mean, if you, if you're going to do something like that, then, and for lack of a less offensive way of saying it, do it half-assed, then your character's better really stand out and be something that, okay, well, the story's not that great, but the characters are amazing and I want to know what happens to them. But this doesn't have that either. And again, it's not to say that it was bad at any point, but just rather that it, you know, it flew right under the radar and it was not, at least for me reading it, not that engaging. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can understand wanting to do this weird story with a lot of, you know, crazy stuff going on that doesn't make sense you know, to, to anybody, even the people in the story, and developing a mystery around that. And I can totally understand, but it, just stacking weird, unexplained occurrences on top of each other and constantly, like, throughout the course of the five issues, it was just, what's that? What's that? What's that? And no payoff whatsoever. I'm not saying everything has to be resolved, but point us in the direction that showing that there's something going to tie up at some point. It's kind of the, the lost phenomenon where we, we've seen so many times before, not just in Lost, but in other things, uh, Morning Glories, the comic springs to mind, that eventually you have to resolve something or tie something together because we're not just going to go by on faith forever. And, and, and it does have to make sense. 
Mm-hmm. Like I'm struggling with that, but like you're saying the same thing essentially too. There's there's a lot of points here that seem like they're just kind of tossed in because it was a cool concept or idea, but not necessarily that it ties in and makes sense with the story. And maybe it does eventually if we would have kept reading it. But I read these because you made me read these (laughs) and I'm not reading any more of them. I'm really not that interested that I care to find out why there's this weird ass half white zombie or zebra thing in town that's dying. I, I really don't well, That was care the one that thing much. they did explain. <laughs> but they didn't explain it well enough for me that it fit or made sense with the story. Yeah, so you know, it was complete. It, it was the polar bear <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to it, bring it back around to the lost metaphor. Yeah, yeah, it just was like, well, what the hell? How, what? No. So, again, I don't know if it's brought up again later in a more clear fashion or something. But, yeah, it's just, it's things like that. And then things like... The, the the revivers that heal up and yet in some shots you see the scars mm-hmm. but in other shots you don't but they heal up completely they regrow their teeth for crying out loud but you see the scars sometimes and sometimes you don't it it doesn't make sense yeah there's definitely quite a few inconsistencies yeah and hmm, i don't know Anyway, the central purpose of the uh, story here takes place in rural Wisconsin, and people – I guess it only happened once, just some people came back to life. Again, not much explanation, not – and, you know, I'm not – I don't need everything explained, but was it a singular event? You know, are people still dying? It was – did it take place over the course of a week? I understand you want to have the mystery of how they came back and why they came back, but – at least some sort of point of reference as to the actual event itself would have right off the bat helped out the story. Mm-hmm. Our main character is Dana Cypress, who is a uh, police officer in the city of Rothschild. Her father is the county sheriff and assigns her to the revitalized citizen arbitration team. It's a partnership with the CDC, basically working police cases that have to do with revivers because I guess that needs a special police officer. I can understand if the cases themselves have to do with the revival, but like we saw here, the first case she gets sent on is because the daughter of somebody who was revived, their horse died, and it was a dispute with them and their neighbor like it's it's a very tenuous thread just to get the characters into the barn where the story needed them to be and honestly this cop looks like she's 13 years old <laughs> come on you, I, you can't be the only one maybe a little more than 13 but yeah pretty young. not by much i mean well we have to we have to assume she's at least in her mid to late 20s since her little sister is in college yeah i know but it just doesn't yeah anyways I mean, overall, the art wasn't bad, though, I, I have to say. It wasn't bad, but there were a few points like that where I'm like... Yeah, just well, some, some, some more detail right. would, would have definitely helped. Yeah. On the way to her case, she meets her little sister, Martha, who's just, you know, staring off a bridge, as you do in the middle of winter in Wisconsin. <laughs> and the sister is such a problem for the story because very early on in the, in the first issue, her sister gets killed. And comes back. Turns out she's one of the revivers herself. I guess her family wasn't aware of this because as they've established, 
the only person Dana knew who was a reviver was some you know, random acquaintance. And just completely out of nowhere, the sister goes, yeah, you're going to find out who murdered me. No dialogue in between explaining to her sister, oh, yeah, I was already killed and came back. It was such a – I read I, – I was flipping pages going between issues because I thought I had to have missed a major story point. Well, I'm not disagreeing. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> and it's something they keep coming back to. And every time they come back to it, it's just a giant question mark over my head of what? Like, I, and you'd think there would be some sort of drive on Dana's parts to, oh, my God, my sister was murdered and came back from the dead. And it's just it's just written off. And like from there, it, it really sets – a lot of the story is skewed for me. Like it, it was just like, okay, they have an interesting concept, but something in the fundamental story structure here is broken. Well, again, here's something where it's a, it's, it's something that we've seen done far better in other stories that they would have had to have done it really well here for it to make sense and be something that you can get behind. But there's parts throughout, whether it's the, cop sister being trampy with the new guy in town just so that she can get some action this make-believe exorcism thing with this character that i hate the uh i don't mean the 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 cdc guy i mean the the Mm -hmm. sleazy yeah guy and then the younger sister purposely getting the crap kicked out out of her by somebody and it's never really explained why. You can appreciate that it's no doubt because she feels guilty about still being alive or she just is trying to get come to grips with all of it. Yeah, but it's not really done properly. And then the relationship between her and the teacher as well, which it's never said exactly why. I'm going to assume he had something to do with her death, may have even caused it. But over five issues, that's not really even addressed. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things throughout that just the dialogue felt forced and it just the situations felt forced as well. It, at times it felt like the entirety of these five issues was written in segments and then literally taped together afterwards like cue cards and moving them around. Okay, this scene would be good here and taping it, but it wasn't there was no nice flow through it at all. Yeah, and a lot of that as well is they just keep throwing in more and more characters who are important to the plot but are given absolutely no framing as characters and their roles in the story. At some points, like they're not even given names when you first meet them. You, you kind of have to work it out. God, putting my notes together for this, for this episode was a chore because it – it was just not structured very well. I mean, we have, as you said, the the backwoods exorcist, Abel, who apparently had some sort of religious cultish beliefs beforehand that he's now seeing as uh, being true with people coming back to life. And he comes and goes and it, it's just he's there. Like there's no there's there's no origin point for the character within the story. He's just another piece that I don't even want to say he's a piece of the puzzle because he doesn't really fit in the puzzle. He's just there. We have um, Jamie, the local news anchor, who apparently a lot of people hate her because they see that she's using the 
revival as kind of a stepping stone in her career with her brother, Justin, who's a psychologist trying to help the revivers. And apparently they had some sort of incestuous relationship. And that right there, that's like so much story that took up two pages, I think. And it's just so many things going on. We have May Tao, the journalist who broke the reviver story and everybody in town hates her as well. But why, you know, how did she break the story? Again, I can understand wanting to set up plot points to come back to and resolve later, but they need to be firmly established. And you can't just throw a piece of dialogue out there and hope we're going to remember it in eight issues as a major plot point for these characters. And you haven't even brought in the freaking walking man, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the the giant white thing, right? Yeah. yeah this, this weird ghost demon thing that keeps popping up in the issues at some point interacts attacks i don't know martha and she starts seeing memories of some random person i guess that there's a ring that's important to this demon i i don't know if the demon is supposed to be the old soldier in the story or i don't know and randomly it just falls into the water and disappears because okay I, because there are parts of this that would be interesting. It's just there are so many fundamental problems with the way the story is told, the way it's put together, the roles that the characters serve in the story. I, it's it's like you said. I don't see myself coming back to read more. Oh, I definitely don't. I don't. I just I don't. I don't like. I I don't. There's a few that I dislike, and then there's just a, a whole bunch that I don't like in that I'm quite ambivalent about them. And But the few, the few that I dislike, it's because I feel that, again, they're not well written, and it just it doesn't always make sense. Again, this sleazy Abel dude, is that his name, Abel? I can't even remember now. Abel's his last name. I don't think they ever mentioned his, his first, first name. name. <laughs> yeah. Let's just, how about we go with Jackass? So Jackass is, again, if you would think that he's a little bit sleazy and whatnot, but no, he's downright psychotic. I mean, when you're tying up women to the back of your truck and running them through town and then all of this crap at the end too with them him shooting at them on the snowmobile and this and that like this is not a likable character but he's not written as an evil character that you can still like he's just this piece of crap sleazy idiot that it's like oh god whenever he comes up on a panel it's like do i have to read this page seriously can i just skip it and if you're gonna have the nut job villain character fine but why what is any of his motivation for a single thing he did? Like, you can't just have a villain show up, do bad things, and then kill him off at the end and go, okay, that's, that's that handled. We're moving on. Anyway, the reason why I decided we were going to read Revival this week, because it's now been running for, I think, 21 issues, which, judging from these first five, is a miracle to me. But just last week... Uh, Image released a crossover between Revival and Chew. I thought, that's cool, but I don't know anything about Revival. So let me learn about Revival before I read that crossover. And now they've convinced me that I don't want to read a Chew comic. That's a crime. (laughs) 
Yeah. Because if this had been better executed, I can think of some fun situations Tony Chu can get into in this in this world that's been set up. But now, don't care. Sorry, guys. No, I, I, I wish they hadn't done the crossover. Looking at this, because I'm if they not hadn't seen, done the crossover. We never would have read this. Yeah, I'm not seeing crossover <laughs> that's not a bad thing. potential at all here. At yeah. all, at all, at all. I don't know how it's been running for two years, honestly. I, I don't either. But hey, I guess it has an audience, and I'm not going to fault anybody better. for liking what they like. But I will judge you for it. Maybe, maybe it gets better. Yeah, I if mean, anybody we're... out there has read this and you know can kind of educate us about any improvements or something that we're missing, let us know. Leave a comment, shoot us an email, and I mean, I'm willing to give anything a try. You're not making. I gave this a try, this. but it's going to take some convincing for me to give it a second try. Yeah. Again. Uh, it's not that I detested it at all. There, I'm not going to say there was any parts yeah, that I liked. We read some bad comics. Yeah. This wasn't no. It, bad. There, there were parts that were bad, in my opinion. Yes, there were parts that were quite bad. But then the rest of it just flew under the radar, and it was more of meh. I don't care. So, which is a curse too, in and of itself, for any comic book creators. But there was nothing that I actually enjoyed about this at all. And I definitely would not read any more. Like if folks want to tell us, Hey, it got way better starting at issue six forward. Good on you. <laughs> good for you guys who stuck it out till issue six, because I don't care if it gets better. I I'm done. Wow. All right. Well, into comics that we are enjoying for our what we're reading this week. First of all, I want to talk about Thunderbolts, uh, the latest issue that just came out. And God, I am terrible at my job because I don't remember which issue number it was. Give me one second. Not editing this out. Issue 26. Yes, issue 26 of Thunderbolts. Uh, it's actually Charles Soule's last issue on the, the comic. And it's just really great to see what he did in his short time on here because Thunderbolts was a mess. It was bad, just flat out bad before he took over. Once he came on board, I gave it a second chance. He developed a lot of the characters, made them interesting, a lot of the team dynamics, really moved it into a much better direction and then did his time. And I don't want to say did his time, sounds like a punishment. Yeah, <laughs> wrote what he wanted to write and now he's moving on. And I just think that's great that a writer can come into a situation, do good work, and leave a comic in a better position than when he started for other people to pick it up because I like this team. I like a lot of the dynamics, and if the next writers coming on board can really keep the team dynamics that Charles Soule set up, it's actually something I'm going to be looking forward to reading. Plus, the art has always been great on this comic since Soul took over, who was it doing the art on the original run? I forget, but it was bad. But it's been really good the last uh, dozen or so issues. Also, uh, have you checked out Southern Bastards, the new Jason Aaron comic from Image? I'm trying to remember. It sounds familiar, but I don't think I did. This is just that weird, you know country type story that Jason Aaron writes so well. It's a lot of the similar concepts that we saw in Scalped, except of course that was uh, you know a Western Indian reservation instead of deep South Alabama. But it's just, it's very realistic. Like as over the top and as ludicrous and as disgusting and terrible as many of these characters are, I've met a lot of these people before. 
<laughs> you know, I, I live in Florida, but I, I was born in Georgia and I traveled up there well, quite frequently as a kid to visit my grandparents' family up there. So I, I'm very familiar with the type of people the Deep South can breed, if you will. And so are Jason, Aaron, and uh, Jason Latour, the artist. They're both from Alabama. And especially at the end of the first issue, it, they talked about uh, – why they wanted to write the comic. And the interesting thing is neither one of them lives in the South anymore because of the type of people that they're writing this comic about. And it's just seeing the amount of passion they have because, you know, this is what they grew up with. This is their life, but they don't like being associated with it and just airing all the dirty laundry. And it, I'm just really interested to see what they do with this because through the first two issues, it's, on one hand, it's off-putting just because of how deep and to the extreme he goes with a lot of the characters. But I, again, it just – I know it's over the top. I know it's hyperbolic. But there's enough of it that rings true to me that it's keeping me interested. Cool. And then finally, we have the Thanos annual. I know you didn't read this. <laughs> it, Jim Starlin coming back to Marvel to you know, reinvigorate the character that he created and – kept going through most of the 70s and 80s it wasn't great but i like what he did because if you remember from back when i forced you to read the infinity gauntlet and it just made thanos look out to be such a chump because he has this omnipotent power and he's getting you know messed around with captain america and you know the zombie chick and it was just thanos did not come off as the villain he could have been in that series and this kind of delves into that and explains why it has a younger version of Thanos after his first defeat at the hand of the Avengers actually visited by a shade of Infinity Gauntlet Thanos explaining that, yeah, he knew he wasn't going to have the gauntlet for very long. So he just accepted that fate and went along with it and was it, it just did a lot of really good development for a character that has never had all that much development, especially in his biggest moments. He's really just been a plot point, not a character. And it really fleshed him out. And I'm, I'm still interested because they have that graphic novel coming out, I think, in August. So, again, Thanos is just one of those characters that as a character, I've never gotten into him. And I want to because he's been so important. And I'm really hoping that what we're seeing between this annual and the graphic novel is Marvel's efforts to really do that and make him into a character instead of just a villain, if that makes any sense. Yep. And that's really all I have this week. All right. I had not yet read Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number 200. So oh. I did. I went back and I read it. And... I remember when you were talking about it, how you had said that it wasn't that it was phenomenal, but it was nice to see those glimpses of what people thought would have happened. And while that's true, I kind of was expecting more from this. Not obviously because you oversold it, because you, I distinctly remember you did not. But I still kind of would have hoped for better here. There's, there's not that much to it. And I think considering the, the, the seriousness of what is happening, that it could have been done better. And, and that's not me saying that I could have written it better or that I, I'm even sitting down thinking of ways that it could have been done better. No, it's just as a reader reading it, I'm thinking, yeah, this 
didn't feel nearly as epic to me as a 200 memorial for Parker should have felt. Mm-hmm. So it, it hit on the emotional points, but even still then felt for me, a little lacking. Even then, I honestly did not feel that it did. Hmm. And that's saying a lot because, I mean, the, 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 the actual comics with the death of and then the funeral after really did. So it's not like I'm an unfeeling, uncaring bastard. I mean, at times I am, but not when it comes to Peter. <laughs> and so, I don't know. I just, it didn't, it didn't really do anything for me at all. The only thing that I adored, which is going to come as no surprise to you or anybody else, was Genki. Genki yes. was freaking Lego. Again, awesome. What I love about that, though, is here you have, because I they wouldn't have been in college by that point. I'm thinking they're still in high school, right? Yeah, you well, think? it's their advanced high school, but yeah, still yeah. technically high school. So he's still a young kid, all right? But I love the conversation between him and Miles, where Miles is like, oh my God, that's Legos. You're not going to give her Legos. Don't do it. And the whole time, Genki's calm, relaxed, and it's like, yeah, I'm giving it to her. It's like nothing you can say will change this. I like his, it's done. That's it. She's getting this gift. And it's like, <laughs> he's so sure of himself. And I, and after, of course, you're like, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> I still don't I'm know. I'm going to assume it wasn't a severed head. Yeah, not a severed head and quite likely not Legos. But What's hilarious is, you have any idea how much crap Bendis has gotten from hardcore Lego people? Because the plural of Lego is Lego. Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> he will never make that mistake again. <laughs> Whatever. So anyways, I don't care. I just find it I funny. I don't either. Uh, so yeah. So this was. I mean, this now makes the reboot of the Miles Morales Spider-Man. The end of that make more sense, where mm-hmm. you can see what's what's coming kind of thing. So anyways, I'm glad I read it, but eh, whatever. Uh, the second Electra, did you read it? I still haven't even read the first. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of dig it. I, not enough that I'm going to sit back and say, this is the most amazing thing. Not at all. I'm not even putting it on par with the black widow stuff. Um, except for the art. The art is on par with it. The freaking art is, astounding the writing is good i like the stories again nothing spectacular but i do enjoy them so it it was good Hmm. uh and lastly did you read the last broadcast no yeah this is from archaea who does the muscard series Mm -hmm. and it's written by andre Sirangelo, Sirangelo, whatever, and Gabriel Imus, Imu, Imu Mazark. Uh, I will butcher your names if you have names like this. Um, the art is wicked cool. I really liked it a lot. Just hard edged, hard lines, the coloring too. Uh, it was cool. It looked like it was almost like um, uh, inked with pen, like hard line pens. I, I really dug it. It was cool. The story itself was has me curious to know more. I found that it was a little too confusing 
in its overall overall scope in terms of exactly what is going on here because the story is split between a young magician and what appears to be a heist that's going on, but who the hell knows about that. So it's kind of, it could have been better so that it could really definitely sink people in because it it makes sense and they want to know more about these characters. I mean, you, you get to know quite a bit about a few of the characters, but there's, there's still a lot of questions up in the air kind of thing, but it's got me curious to read more. I, I would definitely tell you to, to give it a look over and see what you think of it. Nifty. Cool. And that's it. All right, then. For this week's new releases, Marvel brings us Amazing X-Men number eight, which I looked up, and this is the first issue with the new writers. So issue seven was just a random fill-in, I guess. We have Cyclops number two, Iron Fist, the Living Weapon number three, Magneto number five, Miles Morales, Ultimate Spider-Man number two, Moon Knight number four, and Original Sin number three. From Image, we have Burn the Orphanage, Reign of Terror number two, and Nailbiter number two. I'm actually digging that first issue, but uh, I have to see where it goes before I can give it full judgment. From Boom Studios, we have the best comic in the history of the publishing medium of Big Trouble in Little China number one. And IDW brings us Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 34. Yeah, I love Big Trouble in Little China, so I'm really excited for that. You may have overhyped it there just a touch. I Until I'm proven wrong, I will continue to believe that. (laughs) Anyway, that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. You can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. You can reach us at any of those places if you want to tell us about Revival. Uh, As well as email, you can hit me up at vince at comicbookinformer.com or roger at comicbookinformer.com and tell us about how wrong we are because I'm sure at least one of us is usually pretty wrong. (laughs) But until then, until next week, thanks for listening. 